Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two in our talk on misdiagnosis in abdominal CT strategies and pitfalls. And last time we left off, as I was going to approach some of the basic things you need to think about and some potential sources of error that can be eliminated if you work very closely with your technologist to make sure you do the right protocols. So the question I'll ask you is, do you need to look at a full field of view on a CT scan, and if so, when? And two questions I'll ask you relate to cardiac CT or calcium scoring and spine CT, particularly um, uh, evaluation of the T-spine or L-spine. So here's a simple case. This is a triple rule-out study. You can see plaque that's calcified in the patient's LAD. You don't see a whole lot else. You would do the 3D mapping. We would segment each of the vessels. You can see plaque also in the right coronary artery in this patient with the right dominant circulation. And so when you looked at all of the images, you would end up saying the patient has calcified plaque, elevated agonism score, but you would not detect any um, critical acute finding. But it's very important to remember that when we do a coronary CTA, we do a targeted field of view because we want to increase the spatial resolution. But when you do a cardiac CT, although you're not doing the entire chest, you're actually doing about 60 to 70% of the volume of the chest. And if you simply would do a full field of view reconstruction, you'll be able to look at the entire lung and see that mass in the patient's right lower lung, which was a cancer. Now, it's not surprising. We commonly pick up incidental cancers of the lung. And when you think about patients who get coronary CTs or calcium scoring, the patients are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, typical ages when patients have lung cancer. Now, I remember way back when, when CTA of the coronaries came along, the cardiologist argued that we had no right to demand looking at the lung because it was a coronary study because they wanted to do the coronaries, but they didn't know how to look at the lungs. We also remember that one of the manufacturers, Philips, actually built a scanner that blocked out. It blackened the lungs. So if you wanted to see it, you couldn't. They figured they would want win um, some cardiology business, but at the end, they kind of bit them in the butt because when insurance companies looked at it and we argued, the patient paid for the study, get all the information, and of course, the insurance companies looking for the best interest of the patient agreed with us. And so you need to do full field of view. Now, I remember when we had these arguments, I made the point that radiologists would never, never, ever, ever decide only to do a limited field of view. But after I said that, I remembered what about lumbar spine exams? We target the lumbar spine or the T-spine because we want to really look carefully at spatial detail in that area. But you know, you're scanning the entire chest or the entire abdomen when you're doing those spine CTs. Why don't we look at the full field of view? Is your practice looking at the full field of view? Well, the answer probably is not because the spines are read by the neuro people who can't read the abdomen and so you don't reconstruct the abdomen. But having back pain, there's a million reasons from aneurysms to kidney disease to many different things. And this article by Lee made that point. Extra spinal findings were present in 40% of adult outpatients undergoing lumbar spine CT exams for low back pain, most of whom had findings classified as benign. Okay, so two-thirds were benign. But in the other third, they were important findings, and the full field of view images were required to best visualize extraspinal findings in nearly 80% of cases, 
which meant if you did not look at the full field of view, you would have missed things, ranging from renal cell carcinomas to TCCs to CLL to sarcoid to abdominal aortic aneurysms. So 4.3% of the patients had important findings, which explained the patient's symptoms, but if you didn't do the full field of view, you would have missed it. You already scanned the patient. The patient got the radiation dose. You need to look at the full field of view. Now, are you doing it? Probably not, but you should be doing it. Okay, other practical things. Do you look at the topogram or scout view on all cases of CT scanning? Now, in the old days of CT, you always looked at the topogram because when we had film, remember what film was, 14 by 17 or 8 by 10, the first image on a study was the scout view or the topogram, and the last image was the topogram with the lines showing you all the slices. So you always looked at it even quickly because it was there. Now the topogram sits separately, and unless you open it specifically, you don't see it. And you can see where it creates problems. This patient's films were read as retained barium. It's obviously a retained sponge, and that's the ring from the sponge in this patient who had abdominal surgery. If you looked at the topogram, you would have recognized it. Instead, three people read this as barium. Or this case, same thing looks like retained barium. Lots of artifact, very dense. When you look at the topogram, oh my goodness, look at that metallic malleable retractor that was left in the patient. Now that's kind of an unfortunate event, but you would have not read it, and initially it wasn't read, but the topogram makes it very, very easy. Now the reason this came about is Leonard Boleyn, who's written a lot on medical legal, wrote a lot on AJR a number of years ago, called me up and asked me, do I look at the topogram on every case? And then when I said, um, not really, what about the rest of the people? One of our staff raised their hand that they did, and I knew they were not telling the truth, and I told them that. So people don't routinely look at the topogram. Everyone says the same thing. Well, I look at it if I have a question. That's not what I asked you. Do you look at it every single time, even without questions? And the reason it came about was he had a case, there was a case in Chicago, where a patient had fallen. It was a sad story. A child had fallen, had a fracture. Well, initially, was the study was read as negative. A few hours later, had a seizure and died. When you go back and you look at the brain, you look for a, a hematoma, a, a epidural hematoma, um, you didn't see one. Even if you're an expert, you just don't see it. But if you looked at the topogram, a skull fracture was obvious. And when they did the deposition in court, they asked the radiologist, well, the jury can see the fracture. Why didn't you see the fracture? He goes, radiologists don't look at topograms. Okay, obviously he lost that case. Now, this is in an article by Dr. Berlin. It's worth reading. So to look at the importance of topograms, we had two expert radiologists, plain film radiologists, Bill Scott and Bob Gaylor, who are both retired. And they read the topogram as if they were reading a plain film to look for any abnormalities on the topogram. And then we looked at whether or not those abnormalities were seen on the CT or were of importance. And over 2,000 patients were looked at. The CT scout view showed a significant finding in up to 23% of cases, usually in an anatomic region imaged by CT. But in about 2% of cases, the abnormality on the scout view was not included in the CT field of view. Now, why is that the case? Well, it's kind of obvious. Techs get a topogram. The topogram is made to localize the area you want to scan. We always try to scan only the area necessary because we can decrease dose. But if you did a, 
abdominal CT on the topogram, the chest would be there in great part. You could see a lung mass. Maybe you see something in the extremities that's cut off the field of view. There are many different reasons. And so this article by Pam Johnson suggested that interpreting the scout view um, is important. There was some concern perhaps it would lead to unnecessary studies, but that was felt not to be the case. Now, Dr. Berlin looked at our results and said, although there are no ACR practice guidelines and 2% seems low, if you uh, extrapolate to 85 million patients who undergo CT each year, it means that as many as 1.7 million patients may have a finding that is seen on the scalp view, but not seen on the imaging. And his feeling was reasonable medical practice, logic, and medical legal, as well as ethical considerations, confirm the conclusion that the topogram must be looked at in every case. Richard Daphner wrote an article about a year later and made the same statement. Scout images are an integral part of any CT exam and should be carefully reviewed for findings that may or may not be included in the field of view of the study. Again, that's the point. Itchery wrote an article a couple years later, again, um, looking about how scalp views have been shown to contribute significantly to diagnosis. His suggestion was a simple and effective remedy for the type of bias, which is not looking at the topogram, would be to include a, a field on the report that says reviewed the scout images. Therefore, you had to say something, scout images show nothing, show something, show something that's on the regular CT. But again, if you had it on a uh, preset report on a template, it would force people to look at it. Very, very important. So let's now go away from those generalities and get down to specific problems. And the first problem I'm gonna talk about is bladder cancer. Now bladder cancer indeed is very common, over 72,000 new cases. Most cases are TCC. But I'm not talking about the cases of hematuria where you look for bladder cancer. I'm not talking about staging bladder cancer, and I'm not talking about follow-up rule recurrence of bladder cancer. I'm asking you how often is bladder cancer an incidental finding, and how often is it missed on a routine CT scan? What's your liability? And what do you look for on CT for the routine evaluation of the bladder on a contrast scan? Now, the reason this came up were twofold. The first is this case. This is a non-contrast CT scan, and I looked at this for the MedChi of Maryland. It was a legal case. The patient had abdominal pain, acute abdomen. The radiologist read the study as ischemic bowel. The patient was older, did have ischemic bowel. You see the thickened descending colon. Patient went to surgery, and they did fine. They had resection. They did great. The radiologist at that time did not notice this finding in the bladder. Okay? You know where I'm going with this. A couple years later, the patient resurfaces. Now his back pain, there was a bone match. You did the abdomen, and there is a bladder mass that's bigger than it was before. Missed bladder cancer. Incidental finding, missed. But even that's not what I'm talking about, because that was a non-contrast study, and that was a pretty big mass. I'm talking about our protocols are to give patients water before we give IV contrast. So uh, patients will excrete contrast and uh, it will decrease chances of renal toxicity by hydrating the patient. But we do lots of vascular studies like you do for aortic aneurysms, for example, roulette dissection, follow-up aneurysms, pre-taver, you name it. So you're doing older patients who have an increased risk of cancer. Now we're giving oral contrast for hydration, but that also distends the bladder. 
And now when you scan the patient, you're scanning through the bladder, typically in arterial phase. Although we don't think about bladder cancers as being hypervascular, they in fact are vascular around 80 to 90 Hounsfield units, but against urine, which is zero Hounsfield units, it stands out very nicely. So incidental bladder cancers are best seen and best missed on arterial phase imaging. Any enhancement of the bladder wall or off the bladder wall should be investigated further. Do not assume a zone of subtle bladder enhancement is of no significance. And at times, coronal and sagittal views can be helpful if you're worrying about partial averaging. And here's such an example. This was an aortic aneurysm study. There's a five millimeter enhancing lesion at 12 o'clock. It's very obvious. Now, what we noticed a few years ago is that we missed a few of these cases because we weren't looking carefully. We now look very carefully. I've not seen a miss in years. Again, it shows why you have quality assurance meetings and go over specific problems. Now every radiologist knows to look at the bladder. It only takes five seconds, but you need to specifically look to make sure there's no thickening and no abnormal enhancement. But it's the enhancement that I'm really looking for. And there it is. If you didn't believe it, there's a sagittal view showing you a five millimeter bladder cancer. Another example here again, patient who was getting aortic aneurysm evaluation at exactly about um, right here at about seven o'clock, there's an enhancing lesion. That's a bladder cancer, no surprise. There it is in the coronal views. And here it is when you go from axial arterial to axial delayed. There's some contrast in the bladder now, and there's the patient's tumor there. But you can see how easy it is to miss on arterial phase imaging. This is a little bit larger at about three o'clock. There's an enhancing lesion. That's a bladder cancer. Nothing very tricky. There it is in the coronal view. Again, there it is with the bladder opacified with um, positive contrast. Again, easy to see, but easy to miss if you're not looking carefully. This article by Rahman, the presence of a discrete bladder mass or nodules should be considered suspicious for malignancy. In many cases, such lesions may be better appreciated in early phase imaging. And again, it's those small arterial zones of enhancement that are particularly critical. In other words, although TCC has been typically regarded as a hypovascular tumor, these lesions have considerable urothelial hypovascularity and are typically most conspicuous on the early phase imaging. As a result, any focal hyperenhancement of the bladder urothelium must be considered suspicious for malignancy, and a very good point made there. Now, when we look at other common sources of error, I mentioned before that you're doing an abdominal CT, you don't look at the lung. It's this idea of you have the entire skin, you have to look at everything. So failure to select a portion of the exam, such as lung bases, or looking at bone windows are all very common error. And so one of them that it's particularly important that we noticed also was missed was pulmonary emboli. And I'm not talking about a study where it says rule out pulmonary emboli or it's rule out dissection in PE or it's shortness of breath. I'm talking about abdominal CT where a small portion of the lung is in place. And where we noticed this was in pancreatic cancer, where we were scanning the abdomen to look for pancreatic cancer or stage pancreatic cancer. And when I did the thin sections for the 3D, the 0.75s, instead of using the threes or fives, I would pick up small PEs that were missed. And in oncology patients, this is particularly an issue because one to 5% of all oncology patients have incidental pulmonary emboli. The point we learned is 
Although most of us spend time looking at the lower lung fields to rule out METs, we didn't look to rule out pulmonary emboli. Pulmonary emboli can be very subtle, so you need to have a high index of suspicion and always look at the thin sections, which we weren't doing as well. So here's a nice example of a pulmonary emboli in the right lower lung, very nicely shown there and there. Another same example, or here it is again, there's the PE, nicely shown in the coronal views. Well, here's another example of an incidental PE. Again, with faster scanners, with better injection, you are going to pick up these small incidental PEs that are very easy to miss, right? Typically lower lung. What's interesting is that when we see them, they're most commonly in the right lower lung, not the left. Sometimes they're in both. I tell my fellows that if you don't have that much time, only look at the right lower lung because you'll pick up 95% of PEs. Don't look at the left. That's tongue-in-cheek, obviously. you got to look at everything, but you can see my point. And Charlie White and colleagues wrote this article a couple years back that made the point that PEs are commonly missed on abdominal CT scan. And again, some of the new um, AI programs are being used to look for pulmonary emboli where it and this is one of the scenarios where it's an abdominal CT, you have part of the lung, and maybe you're not looking as carefully as you should. And a PE is very important to diagnose, of course. Now, another thing is gastric tumors. Now, I think the stomach can be challenging. I spoke before about how the ER docs don't want oral contrast. If you're not giving oral contrast, be it positive or neutral, you can't distend the stomach. If you can't distend the stomach, then you can't tell what's normal from what's abnormal. The stomach in general has two difficult areas, the fundus and the antrum, and I spoke about that on my talk on the stomach. Sometimes the 3D will help you, but if you distend the stomach, life is good. There's a five millimeter polyp in the stomach, easy to see. The stomach's well distended with water. Here's another patient with abdominal pain. Now, it drives me crazy. Why don't we give positive or neutral contrast all the time? Because when you say a patient has abdominal pain, but you don't give oral contrast, how do you look at the stomach? Well, here, to everyone's surprise, there's an infiltrating process in the antrum of the stomach, which was a carcinoma. But then you look at this case. What do you say here? Is this infiltration? Is this lymphoma? Is it carcinoma? Or is it lack of distension? What is your report going to say? An opacified stomach can't tell, or you're going to overcall, undercall, advise clinical correlation, you're going to ask them to repeat the study. None of that makes any sense. In this patient, if you would have given oral contrast, you would have seen the patient has hundreds of polyps. Now, the patient wasn't given oral because they were getting an ERCP, so we couldn't look at the stomach. But when you looked at the stomach, the patient had hundreds of benign polyps. Look how easy it is to see, but if you don't give the water for distension, here it is again, you're not going to make that diagnosis. Again, technique drives your accuracy. The other thing, again, might be timing. This patient was referred in for a pancreatic mass, tail of pancreas. And you see something going on, and the question was they felt they were unresectable. They came to Hopkins for a second opinion. If you look at the left lobe of the liver, the slight nodularity, the patient has cirrhosis. I always make the point that when you have arterial phase imaging only in a cirrhotic patient, you need to be very careful. Arterial phase imaging is great for picking up hepatoma, but you don't often see varices. And then you could call things nodes or call things masses like this tail of the pancreas, which simply is not even the pancreas. It's all varices in a patient who has significant varices and portal hypertension. 
You can see the varices very nicely on the 3D as well. So it makes the point that when you have a cirrhotic liver, before you start calling nodes or masses, make sure you have venous phase imaging. Okay, that can be very important. The next thing let's look at is pitfalls in renal imaging. But before we do that, let's just take a break and then we'll come back in 10 minutes. See you then. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website ctss.com for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.